Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On this episode of the Hockey IQ Podcast, we bring on Doug Rivak, my brother. Really great conversation. Uh, played some high-level hockey for quite some time. So we're going to break this into two bits. Uh, first bit, we're going to talk a lot of good stories. Uh, Sidney Crosby, you know, Doug and him sharing some ice. We'll get into that story and more. Really exciting. Part two, we'll go more into uh, some depths of goaltending specifics and how shooters can get one over no matter what the goalie does. So it's a real fun episode. Excited to share this one. On the podcast today, we bring on a special guest, my brother, Doug Rivak. Uh, played goalie growing up here, so we're going to get into some interesting stories. Uh, played with a few players that uh, many of you may know in the NHL these days. So thanks, Doug, for coming on. Hey, Greg. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, I was wondering when I would get on this, and great to be here. Well, not that hard since we're uh, doing our first ever live in-person Hockey IQ podcast. So brothers meet up and we, we got a podcast. Yep, we got the basement set up going. Um, it's like, I got to be nice, but this should be fun. What a guy. So let's uh, let's get into it. Maybe give us a little background on your playing career. Yeah, very unimpressive, uh, short career. Um, obviously, grew up playing. I grew up playing in, in the Cleveland area uh, for the Baron system. Back when the AAA League was the Midwest Elite League, um, I know it's had many iterations since then, but when I started playing as, I think, a peewee, um, it was the Midwest Elite League, and it was, it was two, I think, a few Chicago teams, the Young Americans, the Mission, um, and then a bunch of Detroit teams, Honey Baked, Caesars, Compuware, um, and then us, and we would get slaughtered constantly. Um, but no, it was, uh, it was a ton of fun. I played there for probably four or five years, um, and then ended up playing uh, a couple years with you at, uh, at the high school level, my freshman and sophomore year around Cleveland, and then made the transition back into AAA. Um, actually over in Pittsburgh for uh, a few years. I played, well, I guess they changed names as well. Um, now both teams started playing U16 for the Pittsburgh Vipers at the time and then played U18 at the former Pittsburgh Hornets, now the, the Penguins Elite Program, um, and then played a year of, of junior hockey on the New Jersey Titans. Again, the league changed, but when I was there, it was the Eastern Hockey League. Um, so very short, 
short, unimpressive career, um, but had a lot of good experiences. And I get to tell people that I played against a lot of really good players, um, but I was never that good. Falsities, very good. Uh, wouldn't say you got your, your due. You're, you're an, I'm going to put in quotations here, undersized goaltender, but uh, unbelievably sound from a technical standpoint. Uh, I, we have a lot of goalie experts that come on here, but I cannot say that I, I probably have a leg up on, on most commenters because, you know, I've been around you for quite some time and, and the goalie knowledge you've thrown down my way is quite impressive. Uh, you know, I put you up there with Mitch Korn, who should be in the Hall of Fame. So <laughs> it's, it's a fun time. That's a bit of a stretch, but, uh, but we'll take it tonight. Excellent. Well, uh, let's let's get into some of these stories. So you, you mentioned that you played against some guys that are half decent. You know, give, give us a story to get, get our appetite going. Yeah, I think the first one that would pop to mind uh, back when in the summertime, the Elite Prospect Summer Showcase was going on. I think it was kind of more towards the beginning. I remember, you know, that's where I played against a lot of guys that that ended up, um, you know, in the league and, and are still playing today. But one guy I remember playing on the team in first couple games, uh, there was a lot of people at, at our games that normally wouldn't be. The coaches were salivating over this guy. and He was, you know, it was probably when we were 13, 14 years old and he was already six foot or above um, smooth skating defenseman. And you know, all we would hear about this kid from Dallas who's who's so good and his dad played in the NBA. And um, I'm sure you're by now figuring out who that would be, but it ended up being Seth Jones. Um, but, you know, at 13, 14, I mean, what a player, what a player. And it's funny, you know, we played a bunch of guys, you know, like Connor Carrick, the Seth Jones of the world that, you know, they were the best players at, um, you know, 12, 13 years old. And lo and behold, they are still the best players and are playing in the NHL. So it's, it's been fun to watch, you know, those guys grow up, you know, since we were kids and um, being elite, elite players and, and are still today. Yeah. And you had a story that I always think is absolutely hilarious. I forget who exactly it was. You're like, the kid was just so good. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to score here. And then just went down and did it. So you got to dive into that a little bit further. Yeah, I think that one was, uh, I think that one was at a, a showcase up in um, I want to say New Hampshire, and we played we played the New Jersey Rockets, and they were a team that were fully loaded. I'm a '94 birth year, and they were loaded with '97 birth years, I believe, um, just really young kids playing up a level. And they had this one guy, and he strolled. We I think we went up one nothing early in the game. And a lot of guys, and he was very undersized. You know, he looked looked super, super young. And I think we were 18 years old at the time, and he was playing up. Um, and he strolled by our bench as, as guys were giving it to him and said, hey, hey watch this one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right down the rink and score right here. Watch. Face off, goes right down the rink, dangles, boom, goal. Uh, and that was Jeremy Bracco, who ended up going – uh, to Boston College, then on to the O, um, then into the pro ranks. I'm not sure exactly where he ended up now, um, but he was in the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. But that was a, a hilarious one. And uh, another guy that you're like really impressed with um, that ended up making some of himself. And it's been fun to track him. 
Yeah, what a player. Uh, never translated the NHL, currently playing over in uh, Germany in the DEL and played in Finland the year prior. But unbelievable, just the talent. I'm curious, who, who do you think is the best player you've played with? Played with or against? Uh, give us one of one of both. Start with against and then maybe with or whatever, whatever way you want to give it to us. Yeah, I think – I mean, probably the most notable guy I already mentioned him, but, but Seth Jones has to be, you know, uh, probably the best player I ever played against. Um, you know, he signed a big contract with Chicago elite defenseman in the NHL. You know, that's, that's tough to beat. Um, you know, there was a ton of guys that, that played against, you know, the sure Colt, uh, Kiefer Sherwood, I think was the name he's in the, um, NHL now kind of on the bubble Sheldon dries, similar story. I think he went to Western Michigan, um, was in the Colorado system for a long time. Uh, Connor Carrick, another guy, played on the Elite Prospects team with the Detroit Summer Showcases. Really good guy. Was in the Toronto organization. I think now he's uh, actually in the Kraken organization uh, as a new defenseman there. So just some of the guys that you know, it's cool to to play against um, over the years and and watch them go on and, and play in the league. So you've had an outside slash inside view on a lot of these players. You know, I'm curious, maybe what separates these guys from the rest of us? Yeah, I've actually thought a lot about it. Um, and I don't know if I have like a, a great answer. It's funny because, you know, I mentioned a lot of these guys, you know, when we were 12, 13 years old, they're playing AAA travel hockey. They're the best players on their team in those leagues. Um, and a lot of those guys, you know, continued to be the best players throughout. Um, and then there was guys that, you know, weren't very good. And you really didn't know about at 12, 13, that at 18, all of a sudden they're really good. Um, so there's multiple, multiple paths to get there. I think uh, kind of the, the, the big one that you really see and, and you see it at, at a young age and it, and it just grows with guys like Carrick and Jones is, is hockey IQ. Uh, just that hockey sense early on, you know, making plays, thinking about the game. And I think that's a translatable skill as you age. Um, you know, there was plenty of guys that, you know, at 13, 14 were uh, more mature physically that dominated the game. But as guys got older and stronger and, every, you know, the, the physical playing field kind of leveled out, it was always the guys that could think the game that, that moved, uh, moved up the ranks and, and continue to be elite players. Well, that's just beautiful. I mean, what, what are we talking about today? Hockey IQ, Hockey IQ newsletter, Hockey IQ. Yeah, what a, what a plug. I couldn't have scripted that, so I'm glad we're ad-libbing and you're still dropping it in. Good good things there. But uh, you played on an unbelievably uh, talented team. Maybe it wasn't so much the individuals, but you had a, one hell of a, a depth team and a whole team with the Penns League. Didn't you guys end up winning the AAA League? We did. We had a great team uh, my 18-year-old year. We had, you know, probably not the most skilled team on paper, you know, not the most guys that moved on, um, although there were a few um, in there. But we had, you know, such a such a close knit, you know, really the definition of a team played well off of each other. We had, you know, complementary players throughout the lineup. You know, uh, my goalie partner, Colin Diagostine, was a stud. Um, I was a nice backup for him. Um, so we had a, we had a great team and we had a ton of fun and, you know, we ended up, uh, going on to the, the playoffs. I think it was actually the first ever playoffs, uh, for the league, the tier one league 
up in Blaine, Minnesota at the Schwann's rink. And we, you know, kind of weren't really expected to do all that much and ended up, um, you know, going on and making it to the semis. I think we played the Oakland Grizzlies in the semis, beat them, and then ended up playing Bell Tire. He had a really, really skilled team, guys like um, Acapelli, who was in the Chicago organization. Um, Dennis Yan, I think, was drafted by Tampa. A really, really skilled uh, team at that at that time, and we played them in the championship. Went into overtime, and and one of our guys that actually joined the team midway through the year, AJ Coleman, um, who's a great guy and a great player, uh, scored scored an overtime goal five hole, which he deemed the five hole rocket uh, that beat Beltire in the in the championship. So that was really cool for for our team and for for the organization, the Penn's lead organization, to to take home the U18 championship that year. Yeah, your your time in Pittsburgh was an interesting one. Um, one one I believe what a state title in hockey for the high school team as well, and then uh, won a golf tournament. So what an athlete! <laughs> yeah, well, it was it was fun in Pittsburgh. I think uh, you know I played I played uh, or I lived in Ohio for most of my life. Uh, ended up finishing high school. You know, went eleven years to so school in Ohio, and then. Uh, graduated, uh, went to school for one year, my senior year in Pittsburgh at, at Quaker Valley and in, in Pennsylvania, as you know, Greg, um, you know, you can play both travel and high school hockey, which in Ohio, you cannot, it's either, it's either or travel or high school. So it was really fun. We had a great team, um, in Pittsburgh, we had a bunch of guys that I was playing with, um, and had a really, really good group there. Um, and we, ended up winning the state, the state championship with that team. And it was a lot of fun um, while also playing on the travel team. So we had a lot, I played with a lot of great players uh, in the high school ranks in the Pittsburgh area. You know, Jake Pillowitz, Adam Pillowitz, who, who plays on the Penn State's team is actually assistant captain this year. Um, and it's his fifth year there. So a uh, lot of fun times, great memories, you know, playing around Pittsburgh area. And it's only gotten better since I've been there. So it's, it makes me proud to be an alum. Yeah, Penn's Elite is, is one heck of an organization, and, and what they've done there is awesome. Uh, good friends with, with Dan Mays, the U18 coach there, and a lot of the people who've done some nice work, so it's, it's cool to see them rise uh, so quickly and, and to being one of the premier organizations. I'll, I'll put you and the crew as, as pioneers. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know how much we did, but, um, no, it's been good to see the growth of – of hockey really in the Midwest, um, you know, and, and obviously in Pittsburgh, but yeah, it's, it's a great organization that produced some really high level players over the years. Well, high level players, but uh, great athletes in general. I mean, let's, let's go back and talk about your golf story here. Um, you know, I'm going to let you take this in one away. I usually tell it over everyone else, but uh, no, you, you had one heck of a golf tournament. I'm assuming that you're meaning my first golf tournament in Pittsburgh. Is that correct? Yeah. The guys didn't exactly know you by then. Yeah. No. So uh, as I mentioned, first, first year in Pittsburgh, you know, went to school 11 years in Ohio, you know, came to a new school senior year. I played golf in Ohio, you know, played, played golf three years uh, varsity at, at uh, previous school and then really wanted to focus on hockey as I uh, came into Pittsburgh. It's really what I moved there for. 
but it was funny because um, mom, as you know, put a little pressure on me and really wanted me to play on the golf team um, at the new school, which I didn't plan to do, was convinced to go out to tryouts. It was a two-day tryout. First, first day, I played awful, played just terrible, didn't know anybody, played awful, uh, and was almost expecting to be cut, honestly. And second day, you know, played – Played like myself, played much better, and ended up uh, making the, the varsity team there, you know, senior year. And we actually had a really good team, pretty old team. We I think we had five seniors. Um, they were all pretty good players. And first tournament, I really didn't know anybody. And it was an hour-long bus ride. It was like one of those before school started. It was the first tournament, hour-long bus ride. You know, I sat there, maybe said a few words to the guys at, you know, 6 a.m., get to the tournament and end up shooting my career low first tournament as, <laughs> as these guys are looking on, I think I made like six birdies uh, and shot 75, which is a little embarrassing that I made six birdies and still shot 75 and not something lower. Uh, but at that time it was my career low and, you know, coming back into the clubhouse uh, the guys were looking at me like, who is this guy? And, and ended up winning, winning the tournament as an individual. Uh, and then, you know, it was a complete letdown after that, as that was my career low. Um, but yeah, had, a, had fun playing golf. Um, we had a good team that year. We went, uh, the furthest in, in school history. So, you know, that, that senior year in Pittsburgh was, was fun from both the hockey and the golf side. Just what a legend just come in, win the damn thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, way to, way to make new friends. So that's pretty cool. Awesome, awesome stuff. So we've, we've kind of touched on your career, some good stories along the way. Um, but I'm curious maybe to dive into some of the goaltending knowledge that you've passed on to me. You know, we've talked about the post play, talking RVH, VH. Um, we're talking plant legs, all that kind of stuff. You know, as a guy who, again, in quotations, undersized goalie at 5'10", you know, like you had to be on your technicals better than the next guy because you had to use it to survive. And, and I remember just – how hard it was to score on you in practice when we played those two years. It was like, you know, I could torch anyone in the high school league. As soon as I get against my brother, he's got my number. You know, there's probably, you know, me a little bit in there, but at the same point, like, you know, I knew your technicals were on. Everyone else knew it and they were bringing their A game to, to get one by you. So I'm curious, you know, how do you think you played the game? How did you approach the game to play at such an elite high level when the tier one AAA uh, league. I mean, that's, that's no easy accomplishment. Well, first of all, I don't appreciate the short joke in there being an undersized goaltender, but, uh, but no, I, I was average height, average height. Um, in quotations. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think a lot of it had to do with, um, you know, just being kind of a student of the game and, and understanding tendencies, uh, you know, I think, I think, well, I think it was two things that also having a baseline skating ability, I think, you know, moving about the crease in an efficient, um, quick manner and explosive is key for kind of undersized in your words, undersized goaltenders. Um, you, you know, you look at guys like UC Saros, uh, who just has complete control of his edges and can move any which direction at any point is always in control of his body. You know, that's lower and upper body. Um, so, 
So I think it was that and just like focusing on building that foundation from a skating and, and movement standpoint and just trying to be like as efficient as possible um, moving throughout the crease. But I think the one thing that really benefited me over the years was, was, you know, I'm just a general personality trait. I'm just like a general perceptive person and, um, you know, enjoy kind of studying things. So, you know, I, I would, you know, watch a lot of games of opponents. Um, you know, when I wasn't playing, I was really paying attention to, you know, opposing players, their tendencies, you know, how they, um, how they shot, things like that. So I think memory banking, a lot of that came into, came into play when I was in the net. And, you know, obviously I knew you very well having faced you so many times. So I kind of knew the moves, knew the tendencies coming down when you were going to do the whole, the old five hole breakaway move, um, or top glove. I kind of understood the setup of that. So I think, I think that was a key, key thing for me, you know, as an undersized goalie, you know, you get to higher levels, you know, and it, at, at younger levels, guys don't shoot hard enough to really, you know, you can react to pucks and then you get to a certain age where guys have a little bit more zip, um, on the puck. And there's certain situations where you, you simply can't react. Um, it's more of like a, a blocking or just putting yourself in, in the best position to make saves. Um, and I think at higher levels, I really understood, you know, what those tendencies were and trying to put myself in the best position to make those saves, but it all came from, you know, understanding where on the ice players were, you know, what shot they were, what their tendencies were, and just taking that all into account and kind of computing and making decisions from there. So I think, you know, any really any goal, and it's been so impressive over the years, you know, bigger guys have picked a lot more up on, on this and are just unbelievable. You look at guys like Vasilevsky who are just, so smart around their crease, but also massive. Um, and that's the, obviously the ultimate combination, but, you know, I think for undersized goalies, if you can be, uh, very perceptive and, and really understand the game and tendencies of shooters, you know, depending on where they on the, are, are on the ice, what their options are, what, you know, where they're going to shoot. I think that's a huge, huge difference maker observational would be the one word when I, when I think Doug Revac in the net, like he's observing everything and he knows everyone around him at all times. And I, and it's funny. I had a coach, I think it was my first year AAA. I had this wacky coach that instead at, at the end of the year banquet where normal youth coaches would give trophies for, for everybody. Um, he gave words. And so he literally printed out on a piece of paper words to describe his players. And my word at the end of the year banquet was studied, which, <laughs> which is a little wacky for, you know, a 12 year old to get at an end of the year banquet, but he, he wasn't wrong. He wasn't wrong. Not at all. I mean, you, you were that annoying little brother that was very observational to the moment that you get away with something and then go crying to mom as uh, the baby boy. So uh, I'll second that one. Yeah. Guilty as charged there, but now <laughs> funny story there, but he, he wasn't wrong. Anyways, there, there were some good nuggets you had in there that I want to revisit. Um, the first one is a, a real quick hit for us here. When you're talking about blocking saves, you know, what are you, you know, blocking versus reactionary, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, to me, that really means, you know, blocking, uh, you're able to make yourself big. Um, and that typically is on more in tight shots. Uh, you know, you're trying to cover up holes under your arms. 
um, just over the pad, those sort of things where there's not a ton of room for the puck to, to get um, on an angle to get by you. You know, you're just trying to uh, be tight and, and eliminate as many holes as possible where reactionary, you know, you typically is, you know, more further out shots where you have time um, as the puck comes in to react and, and uh, you know, make those saves. Excellent. I always, I always put blocking, you're just blocking and taking up as much space as possible. Reactionary, you can, you can get in there to it. Uh, the next quick item I want to touch on here um, is just seeing where players are, you know, like, you know, what are you looking for? What are your data points that you're collecting to better understand how you want to play a situation? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, as my career winded down, I was coaching um, some of the high school level goalies. Uh, I think that was like one of the things I didn't quite understand. It was almost like the the Wayne Gretzky, like he just did it and it was hard for him to explain as a coach and he didn't understand why other guys didn't understand what he was thinking. Um, and that was one of the things for me, you know, you have a guy, you know, I'm a, I'm a normal, normal goalie, you know, catch with my left hand and I'd have a right-handed shot coming down the left, my left side, you know, eight times out of 10, he's shooting top glove, especially at the younger levels. Right. And for, for some goalies, you know, they would just give up that space. Uh, so, you know, I think, I think it changes over time um, depending on what level you're on and how talented the players are. Um, but for me, there were certain, there were certain spots on the ice where you could, you know, think about it in a probability uh, perspective. And, you know, like I said, you know, a guy coming down on like a two on one to my left side, defenseman takes away the pass, you know, a lot of times he's, he's going top glove. So whether you want to show that and then take it away from them, or you just, you know, strictly want to cover it, however you want to play it. But there are certain, certain plays that, you know, hockey is a repeatability sport um, generally, you know, especially at, at some of the lower levels. Uh, and the more that you see those plays, the more you see the results of those plays, you know, you just kind of memory bank those. And, um, you know, you think about it from a, from a probability standpoint of, you know, if this play, if this scenario plays out, you know, typically where does that shot go? And so that's kind of how I thought about it um, and thought about save selections, you know, in, during my playing days. Or even just like, as you're thinking about shoot first pass, because I always remember like you would randomly get across a crease and have a chest to a puck and it makes it look like it's an easy save when most goalies are having to go over and flash the glove or, you know, they're getting beat there. And meanwhile, it's hitting you in the chest. Same thing with like UC Soros. Like I'm appalled by how many guys shooting his chest. And then I'm like, okay, well, it's not the shooters. It's, you know, Soros is reading this really, really well. Yeah. I mean, it's a hard skill to master. He is an unbelievable goaltender at it and he's really matured over the last few years. And I think he's starting to get the notoriety that, that he deserves. Um, it's really tough to, to pinpoint exactly, um, you know, where that comes from, but it's just, it's just a, a cumulative thing of understanding, you know, what, what, what happens in front of you and anticipating plays, um, and sometimes you're wrong. Listen, like sometimes, you know, you're wrong and, and you get beat on a goal and, and people look at you and say like, oh, you know, how did you make that decision? Why didn't you stop that? That was an easy one. And it was like, well, you know, most of the time this guy's making this pass on this, this to this point of the ice. And, you know, this one out of 20 times he didn't do it. 
you know, but the 19 others, I would have been right there and made an easy chest save. So, you know, I, I, I get frustrated sometimes, you know, hearing about some of the post play and which I know is a controversial thing. Um, but it's all about, you know, probabilities and putting yourself in the best position to make saves, um, which Saros certainly does. And, um, I, but I think a lot of it's anticipation, um, and understanding, you know, what, what, where on the ice the puck is coming from and where the threats are and understanding, you know, what you need to do to get there in the most efficient manner. Um, I think is really the key to making those type of saves. Well, since we've been talking about tendencies, I think it's time to uh, give away your secret since we never play against each other anymore. You know, what, what am I doing as a shooter to be an idiot and give away what my tendencies are? Obviously knowing me and seeing it a few times is good, but, you know, like what are some things that give shooters away specifically me? <laughs> well, we still playing alumni games together, so I can't give them all away. Uh, but now I'm trying to remember it's, it has been a while, but I think, Certain um, skating patterns as you come down the ice, you can kind of set up for a certain, you know, I'm thinking about a breakaway in particular, you're set up for a certain deke. So like if you think about TJ Oshie in the Olympics, he kind of turned that on his head where he came down in the same exact pattern and then did a different variation of his move off of that. But a lot of guys come down kind of in the same manner and set themselves up to make the move that they want to. Um, so that was a key indicator. Uh, I think speed was another one because certain moves are done kind of more in a slow manner, slow manner. Um, other ones are done more at high pace, depending on what you're doing. Um, so that was another key indicator. And I think just hand positioning and shoulder fakes was another one that I remember, you know, taking, you know, thinking about is, you know, okay, his, his stick positioning is more out in front of him. It's probably going to be a deep trying to go around me where, you know, if he had it on his side, maybe it's more of more of a shot type move. So understanding the different moves that were, were in the player's arsenal that was coming down on you and, and taking those those few things into account was a dead giveaway. You were you were pretty good. I think I think you're selling yourself short. I was I had seen you thousands of times, uh, but I think for anybody that had seen you just a few times, you're pretty, pretty good at disguising. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take some credit there getting you to the AAA level. How about that? We'll, we'll call it even. What's fair is fair. Excellent. Excellent stuff there. So I, I like that. That last one you did on breakaways, like just literally a guy stick handling in front of him. Obviously, that's going to be more of a deke. You know, I'm trying to remember who the goalie coaches you had that really pointed that out when, you know, we were like 12 and 13. Yeah, I don't know, uh, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I don't know if there was a ton of goalie coaches at that age. You know, one guy that I worked a lot with, uh, his name was Dave Marlin out of Philadelphia. And he, he coached and played a lot um, in the European leagues, but he was a big influence on me. You know, I can't remember specifically, you know, who kind of taught me. I think it was just, a, you know, like you said, being somewhat of an undersized goalie, you know, trying to make it, it was, you, you, you kind of have to pick up on some of that stuff um to make those sort of saves and, and move up the rank so you know i think it was a combination you know dave marlin was was a great goalie coach for me um you know learned a lot from him um but i think a lot of it was just experience and you know playing against high level guys and um you know making mistakes and, and learning from those and then you know going back down to your to your own level and it's just a cumulative process i think it it takes a ton of time and 
uh, especially for goalies. I think everybody knows, um, you know, goalies just take time to mature. Um, and I think it's a large part of that is just experience and, you know, being in situations that, uh, that over time you just remember. And, you know, when you're in those situations at, at, uh, later times and higher levels, you can say to yourself, okay, I've been in this, been in this situation before, know what to do, know what safe selection to make. And, um, you know, it's just a, it's just a cumulative process over time. Yeah. And I've talked to Dave Caruso with USA hockey and he's played pro coach goalies at the pro level with, with under Lou Lamarillo. And, you know, he talks a lot about training goalies, just putting them in the jungle. You know, he, he says he wants jungle cats, you know, you don't want shots, you know, three lines, you know, that's very obvious, but like you said, putting yourself in situations consistently where you can start to pick up on these things and, and accumulate all that experience is massive. I'm curious then just even more on like the, maybe the technical side, you know, what are the things that you remember picking up from, from Dave Marlin there? Yeah, he was, uh, he was kind of more, I mean, this was, uh, this was of the age of the Mika Kippersoff kind of Finnish league style goalies really taking over the NHL. You know, when Pecorine was coming into the league, Kippersoff was dominating. Who was the guy at, at the Minnesota wild? It was, he was another Finnish goalie backstrom. Yeah, that's it. So he was, he was at that time training um, under coaches and, and uh, over in Europe and really learning kind of the mindset that those guys had in Finland. So he brought a lot of that back to the U.S. And when I would you know, train with him during the summertime, a lot of what he preached was active hands. And, you know, before that, you had a lot of the Canadian style, the, you know, the Francois Allaire, the blocking, you know, Patrick Waugh, J.S. Jaguar type type goalies. But but Dave really brought in the active hands, and and so I think that's that was the the biggest thing that he taught me over the years, you know, which which you know truly helped me, uh, you know, given my kind of playing style that that I had to play, you know, I, I couldn't just be a blocker, um, you know, I'm five foot nine on a on a good day, uh, so I had to be reactionary and um, and have active hands, and you know, it really helped on you know in tight plays too, where instead of having your hands kind of locked right over your pad and just straight up and down kind of blocking, you know, you were out taking away angles, you know, coming up from the ice where the puck is really taking away that angle towards the top, you know, portion of the net. So that was like the big thing that he brought back. And that was, you know, something that the coaches that I had worked with previously, you know, didn't really harp on. And, and he was the one that really brought it to, to my game and, um, and, and really taught me that sort of style. And, and it's, you know, if you look at NHL goalies today, you know, that style has really crept in, you know, even in the, in the U S uh, goaltenders, Canadian goaltenders, you know, it's, it's not, it's not the same style as, as they were. They've, they've evolved. And I think they've taken a lot from kind of the European Finnish style. Yeah. You were the first goalie. I noticed that you would push your glove hand through the puck during the save, which I thought was like, when I picked up on, it was absolutely genius on how that cuts down the angle. And you had for a, like, yeah, we keep joking on undersized, but like you literally didn't matter what size you had the most annoying glove hand I've ever played against in, you know, that and any level. And I, you know, I've played even pick up against some guys that have gone on to play professional hockey and I just hate your freaking glove hand. It just robs me all the time. Obviously the tendencies and all that, but even just like in close, like, boom, your, your glove was on top of the puck. It was like, even if I raised it, you know, it, it was like the original, box control right like controlling those little boxes all the way up probably didn't call it that at the time but 
you know, not with the new vernacular, that that's basically what it is. So it's pretty crazy. And I want to go back to your point where you said you, you play with some high level goalies. Cause I think we have a, a big story that we haven't touched on, but when I said the best player you've played against, uh, you, you really missed the mark there. I think, you know, exactly which story I'm heading towards, but basically glove hand didn't help you that day. <laughs> I'm not sure which story you're talking about here. Which one are you going for? Uh, I believe it was Maxime Talbot. Maybe or Kunitz was really mad at the end. Ah, uh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No, that was a uh, a super unique opportunity. You know, I I mean, basically, you could say I was in the NHL for a day for two days. Um, so I I do have NHL on my resume. Unfortunately, it was never actually in the league, and it was during the lockout years. Yeah, that was. That was one of the years that, um, you know, I was playing in Pittsburgh. I think it was 20, 2012, um, the NHL was locked out. And I got a call randomly. I was at, I was at a billet house, and I got a call midday. And I, and I had already graduated. It was, a, it was the second year I was playing, that second year of U18. And I got a call, and the guy, he calls me, and he's like, I'm the, you know, the equipment manager of the Penguins. We're practicing. Um, you know, some of the guys that are still in town, you know, generally some of the guys that had kids in school, you know, lived in Pittsburgh full time and we're still there, you know, we're, we're, we don't have any goalies. Can you come down and practice with us? And I, I thought he was totally kidding. I thought this was like a friend, like playing a joke on, me. but it, it was for real. And, and um, there was, there was a handful of guys, probably like 10, 12 guys that were, you know, living in Pittsburgh, you know, some of the older guys on the team, like Pascal Dupuis, Chris, Chris Kunitz, Tyler Kennedy, Derek England um, at the time. And they were, you know, living and, and still skating during the lockout. And uh, there was no goalie. So, you know, ended up going down to uh, to Penguins practice in Pittsburgh at their old practice rink and, and skated with them for a day, which was just absolutely incredible. And, you know, obviously my first thought was, you know, is, is Sid or Malkin going to be there? But when I got there, you know, they weren't there and the, the first practice and, you know, it was, it was still incredible. You know, a guy like Derek England, who, you know, people would generally say is, is more of a tougher stay at home defenseman. I was just enamored by his skill set and, and how talented he was, you know, let alone some of the top guys on the pens. Um, so that was absolutely incredible. And then, you know, a few weeks later, got the same call. So I must have must have been uh, a decent enough goalie at that practice to, to get invited back. And, and the second practice, Sid was there, which was just unbelievable. So, you know, I think that's probably the highlight of my entire career was, you know, being able to say that uh, skated with, with Sidney Crosby and the best story. Well, two, two great stories from that practice, you know, fortunately my dad was working at Pittsburgh at the time. So he was able to come down and, and kind of take photos and videos of some of this stuff, but two great stories were, Number one, they were doing a battle drill in front of a one-on-one battle drill where pucks were thrown in. And it was Crosby versus Max Talbot. And uh, Crosby ended up sticking him right in the face. And <laughs> he's leaking blood and absolutely helicopters to stick over the glass. There's no one at the rink, just helicopters to stick over the glass. And uh, and said, oh, you know, oh, sorry, sorry, Talbot. Uh, but that was a great one. And then Sid, um, at the other end, we were doing a drill and he was kind of behind the net in Gretzky's office. And, you know, he's passing pucks out front coming or coming around the net. And then one time he banks one off the back of my leg and it goes in. I'm like, I just turned to him like, man, why you got to make me look bad? Like I'm out here doing my best. 
trying to make, you know, one out of every five saves. And why do you have to do that? He's like, ah, oh, sorry, man, it's my job. So, so two cool experiences, um, you know, practicing with the Pens, uh, like I said, a highlight of my career, you know, got to say, you know, obviously got to meet Sid and, and spend a little bit of time with him, but to be able to skate with him and take shots was, was just incredible. It's just his job, man. The guy's got to score goals. Give him a break. You know, it's not easy being uh, the greatest hockey player in the world, especially at that time. I mean, as peak Sid, uh, Canadian hero, gold medalist, the whole nine yards. So that's pretty cool. But I, I do have some video from dad of, of you making some saves on Crosby. So it can't be that good, right? Uh, he probably got one, one, one of very few, but he was, uh, he was pretty good, but it was funny. I, I still remember, you know, like I said, you know, guys like Derek England, I was so impressed with their skill set, um, what, with what they could do on the ice. But once Sid was out there, it was, it was just next level. He was three steps ahead of even those guys. And it was so apparent you, in all, all the little details of his game, you know, flipping pucks, catching, catching, you know, on the back end while skating. And it, it was, he was just so far ahead of those guys. And, and those guys were just unbelievably talented. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well. Really excited to continue to grow this. So please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.